Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. As hospitals around the country embrace the burgeoning concept of revenue integrity, Questions arise around the best way to structure a revenue integrity department. To discuss one hospital's approach, I'm joined by Gretchen Case, Executive Director of Compliance and Revenue Integrity at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Gretchen has over 25 years of experience running hospital revenue integrity departments responsible for over $16 billion in annual hospital gross revenue. Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much. Gretchen, I think most people are familiar with the name Cedars-Sinai, but why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about the hospital? Sure thing. Uh, We are a large academic medical center in Los Angeles, California. We have approximately 900 beds. We book around 200, uh, excuse me, 22 billion a year in gross revenue now, and there's a net of around 4 billion. We have a huge transplant program, pretty much any kind of specialty you can think of in healthcare, it's done at Cedars-Sinai. And we've started some affiliations in the Southern California market as well, so we're growing. Thanks, Gretchen. That's a, that's a, a great uh, tee up because obviously you've got some complexities in dealing with issues like revenue integrity. And obviously, uh, as I mentioned in my intro, we're going to talk about how you looked at it and how you decided to break up Uh, the responsibilities within the department to get to the most efficient results. So uh, briefly, can you explain for us what the areas of responsibility are within the Cedars-Sinai Revenue Integrity Department? Yes, absolutely. I would say that they're ever-increasing. It's a real passion of mine with regard to revenue integrity in the the healthcare world that we live in today. And And it's one that's kind of nebulous out there. And I think it's been defined many different ways. And it looks very different depending on the organization. And I think that's fine. Um, towards the end of the program, I'll get to some suggestions I have related to what I've seen be successful as well as what I see as current trends um, going on right now. But at Cedars, um, we have responsibility in the Revenue Integrity Department of, for charge master, charge capture, charge audit, process improvement, data integrity, clinical integration, and uh, what I call a government uh, audit program that I developed years ago, which is really the nod to the compliance piece um, related to the hospital billing. Um, And and as a result, I had actually developed a a definition. Uh, I was part of a group that was speaking on this at a conference uh, earlier this year, pre-COVID, and um, the the most succinct way I could describe it is that RI is a discipline in the revenue cycle that supports optimal revenue recognition for all providers, carrying best practices with an optimal use of technology, revenue integrity ensures compliance and mitigates regulatory risk through effective, efficient, and replicable processes, delivering results to your organization. And that, in a nutshell, is kind of what our charge is, pun intended, and the areas that we sort of have responsibility for. And Gretchen, you've presented on the topic of revenue integrity around the country, and you've placed 
certain responsibilities into four practical areas, which I think is great for purposes of our discussion. Can you tell us what they are and how you define them? Um, yeah. I, so when I mentioned charge, everything that is sort of revenue recognition is sort of like the big umbrella things fall under. We ensure that the charges are, are created, that they've got all the accurate data elements that they need uh, for billing purposes. And you're also reporting services at that point, too, when you're doing CPT codes and so forth. It's, it's for reimbursement, but it's really where the clinical becomes financial, is what I always say about RI. We're, we're overcharged capture. We're ensuring that what used to be a very manual process for hospitals has been completely electronic, electronic now. And, and for, for better, for worse, I think in most cases it's for better, but there are some different challenges related to that now in a, in a completely, you know, EHR, electronic health record environment. Um, charge audit is, is less of a discipline now than it once was when there was, when systems were you know, lost charges was a big problem, missing charge tickets, et cetera. Things were so manual that it was a hard, it was often hard to make sure that you were ensuring everything was correct and accurate. So what we've done with that expertise though, which is typically like um, RNs and nurses that want to do something other than clinical nursing, even some physicians, they have the ability to look at a chart clinically, but also understand how it needs to be represented in terms of charges and revenue. So that team we use for special purposes now, sometimes compliance, sometimes charging. Um, in, in, in older days within our eyes, those were often looking for mischarges. Now it's become a little bit more around accuracy and completeness. Data integrity is something really important now because of how electronic we are. You'll obviously hear that theme in everything I talk about. Um, but to produce one claim, up to 12 different systems can be involved with posting charges or claim scrubbing and submission. So there's a very, how, how the numbers make their way through the system is very important. That's what we call data integrity, making sure that it gets all the way through to where it needs to be accurately. And then compliance, that's a huge piece. Um, and I think it fits very well within the RI structure because you have, it, it, it informs everything you do. So when you're doing revenue codes in a charge master or CPT codes and, and you're doing modifiers and all these other things that where the reporting of services becomes financial and based and created for reimbursement, you have potential risks there, especially with CMS programs like Medicare and Medicaid or Medi-Cal in California. And so having somebody that understands all of those requirements, being the person that is creating those things is very important. So those are, the, those are the main areas that we work in. And uh, you've described the functions of your team in a couple of different ways. You say uh, they're architects, for instance. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's more interesting than the titles of data integrity or charge capture or charge audit. So we, we call them architects, air traffic controllers, law enforcement, and accountants uh, for fun. Architects is probably my favorite area. I do come from a family of architects, so maybe that's why I named it that. But if you have a strong beginning and, and backbone, as in the charge master, um, you, you, it, just, it just facilitates so much through the billing process. So we have charge master, um, we have fee schedules. These are all sort of the tools that you have to build uh, the environment in which you're gonna record your revenue. So that's kind of how I always describe the architect. You're building it. How are you going to charge for 
uh, surgical services? How are you going to charge for your cath lab services? Are you going to do it by time or are you going to do it by procedure? These are, uh, these are um, questions that you have to answer. And your choices or your answers to these things are very important. And that's, what, that's where you become sort of an architect of how it's going to come together. Air traffic controllers is a fun one because I mentioned earlier the multiple systems that can be involved with the generation of just one patient claim. We, on my team, felt important. It felt it important to become certified in our areas of expertise. We're we're an ethics shop at Cedars, um, and so many of us went ahead and got certified in the areas that we deal with most because we really wanted to understand how how mysterious I call it the ghost in the machine, how the ghost in the machine works. And in a new in a new age of the electronic transmission of data. You really need somebody in there understanding how these things are flying around in the system. And then you got into uh, law enforcement, which is, is always a, yes. a fun term yes. for, for revenue cycle. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, this is, a, this is a unique one. And I find this in what I call, and I've written sort of about a, a very mature revenue integrity program. So the, the first pieces I mentioned about charge master, capture, audit, review, all those protocols and so forth, that's sort of like the bread and butter of, of an RI program. If you get into law enforcement or compliance, uh, you really have a mature program. Sometimes it sits over in internal audit. Sometimes it sits in the, in the world of compliance. But there's been a lot published lately about how having people with the expertise that revenue integrity folks have being the ones that are also doing the self-auditing review uh, is the most effective. So something I developed at Cedar sinai about, gosh, seven years ago was something called the Government Audit Program, or GAP for short. What we did is we took it on in RI, developed a small team to standardize our approach to all external, external government audits. We don't do commercials that sort of the denial management. That's over on the side. We do work with that sometimes, but this is more focused on the government side. So what we do is we, we conduct our own self-audit. Um, we, we mirror them pretty much to the way that a, an OIG audit is done. And we have a plan for the year. And some of them are evergreen, like we check our certain, certain issues are checked annually. Certain issues are checked as they come up of, of areas of concern or interest. And then we also uh, bought a database, built it up so that we can identify what is at risk for the organization at any point in time relative to the type of audit that it is being conducted. So if it's a RAC audit or an OIG or a MAC, um, even an internal self-audit, all of these things are categorized and, and financially uh, put into the system so that we understand what our risk is. And it's been a very successful program. Not only in mitigating our risk, we've been advocates on behalf of hospitals with regard to uh, issues and challenges we find within, you know, payment structures, if you will, or NCDs and so forth. We've been challenging for coverage decisions at a national level. Um, and it's also provided the financial leadership of the organization uh, the information they need to understand what our true risk is at any point in time financially. So that's been an interesting program and one of which I hope to see RI departments kind of full, you know, fill out and fully develop. And then your accountants. That seems, that seems pretty straightforward, but what do you mean by that? <laughs> so any RI program, 
you know, even though, even though we're electronic and you think that everything will work perfectly in an electronic environment, we all know now that it doesn't. It works better, and I am a big fan of it, but, you know, nothing's perfect. Um, one of the things I think is a discipline that's near and dear to the heart of most RI professionals is the, the need to show the value that you bring. So in my department at Cedars, we have process improvement programs, we have a code-based reimbursement program. Um, all of these things are looking at and uh, identifying the potential revenue loss that we've found and that we've mitigated and that we've returned to the bottom line. So each year, we have a budget that we are numbers that we're going for. Uh, we put in programs and we put in, we leverage the system in order to fix errors that we find and then we track the net revenue impact of that for a year. And it's been a very, uh, it's been a great way to explain to the organization internally and exter externally uh, what the program does, what we do, and what the net value is of what we do. That's great, Gretchen. And then, you know, when you think about all these functional areas, eventually you do have to put them into some sort of a, of a practical structure to get them to operate properly. What does that look like at your hospital? Uh, just the structure of our department? So to yeah. Say? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's about, I would say, 35 of us in the department but overall. Um, that includes an associate director, uh, several managers, uh, several, um, a couple of supervisors. We, we are typically focused now on the, I mentioned earlier, the clinical integration with the clinical modules. So I always joke that the clinical modules within an electronic health record are um, really financial modules masquerading as clinical modules because if you've ever worked with any of the, let's say, pharmacy modules or the surgical pharma, uh, modules, there is a lot of work there and a lot that can be missed. And it's very complicated. Um, so there, that area takes up a lot of my team. So I have people that are specialists on my revenue integrity team. They understand how Radiant does the imaging uh, charging inside of Epic. Or we have an op time person and a Willow person. That's the OR module and the drug module or the pharmacy module. Um, and so we have people that understand those models. And if they're not Epic, if they're something that's a, a you know an ancillary. They, we understand that as well. I have a lab person. We must have at least three or four lab systems at Cedars, and we need to know how each of them work. We need to know how they're sending us charges, when, when things need to be updated. Um, the creation process is one thing. The maintenance process is another, and you can be really good at one and not the other, and you really need to have a rounded-out program that's good at both. So we have around 35 uh, folks on our team. Some of them, instead of doing general charge audit that I mentioned earlier, which we're looking at just like account by account, but it had sort of um, charge-based reimbursements for making sure we weren't losing anything, have become more service line oriented. So I have a team that audits the emergency room instead of just globally all outpatient surgery cases because we've determined that that's a greater area of risk and that the rest of those general, let's say, outpatient surgeries are pretty much the error-free, I'll put that in quotes, but there's not a lot of loss there. But when you get into an emergency situation, uh, even though we have leveraged the system functionality inside of Epic, there are still things that can be missed. Infusions is a huge one. Um, we haven't transitioned yet to um, inf auto automation around that. So what little charge capture we have left that's manual 
is done by my team, a centralized team. So those are some of the ideas of the, of the areas that, they, that we have. And Gretchen, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about how to structure their own revenue department or just looking at revenue integrity generally uh, as, as we work into the future? Sure. Um, one very interesting statistic that I read earlier this year, and it came out last year from the advisory board, um, there was a, they were trying to define what RI is and how people work within it across the country. And one of the questions that they sent was 84% um, of healthcare organizations rely at least partly on their EHR systems for charge capture. That's big. That, that, that shows the, the major shift that we've all lived through now, going from a manual charge capture environment to an electronic. And we did have a lot of electronic beforehand. It's just that it's really significantly escalated with the implementation of EHRs. Then the next question, uh, the answer was 50% of healthcare organizations use it exclusively as their charge capture solution. So it's 50-50. Some of them still have a little bit of manual, like I mentioned we do at Cedars, for example. But then the one that blew me away was the percentage they gave of healthcare organizations that would recommend their current charge capture, capture solution was only 10%. So it really makes you pause and say, what, what's so wrong? Um, and I think the answer to that has a lot to do with what I'm seeing um, right now in, in, the, in the field, if you will. Um, and I'll get to that trend at the end of this at the end of this question. But when you ask me what would I do to structure it, I would say work with what you have, um, ask, assess your department's expertise, and design your initial workflows around that. Um, you're going to have deficits in areas of expertise that you're going to want, but that's okay. You can either then grow your own expertise in those areas, slowly send your people for certification in, in charge capture, charge master, and whatever electronic solution you're using. Um, it can be all done remotely now, obviously. Uh, it, it, it lends some authenticity to the roles as well as people get certified in these things. Um, and, and it makes the, the career path more meaningful for a lot of these professionals because it's slowly becoming an, an actual uh, profession or, or discipline within the revenue cycle. Um, develop a culture that aligns revenue cycle operations clinical administration, and IT with revenue integrity. Relationship building is probably the most important thing I can think of in, in creating a successful department. Um, you've got to be able to call the head of pharmacy or, or their designee at any given moment and say, what's up with this drug? What is the, what is the dose unit? How is this built? But you've also got to be able to call up the IT team because they're the ones who are actually inputting data or changing things within the system. And we have found um, and developed, and I would highly recommend this to other, other organizations, what we call weekly work groups with the same people I just mentioned as a part of those. So Revenue Integrity leads these meetings, but it's got representation from all the modules, and all of the, the actual clinical areas. So we don't do all at one time. The best example is Willow, which is Epic's uh, pharmacy module. Once a week, we have a call that includes my RI team, not the whole team, but a couple of them. Uh, it, it includes clinicians, so pharmacists, 
It includes IT people as well as the hospital billing team. And we just go through issues. It's the time that we always say we have the chance to talk about the money. And these, these work groups, they're not committees, they're not task forces. We just wanted to fly low under the radar. It's not a big deal. But it's a chance where we get to work together to answer the questions of, of problems. Because otherwise, you're dealing in a situation where you have nothing but email communication and, and issues that are too complex to really follow in email get really lost over time. So we keep minutes, we have a, a work list that we're working down, things are kept on it until they are resolved, everybody's aware of what their responsibilities are. And we knew we had hit Pater with the, this has been going on now at Cedars for several years. When the first call we had, uh, had over 21 participants call in and we were shocked. But it, it was a perfect idea because it's a parking lot for issues that impact the rev cycle and revenue integrity, but are really not in our control. We don't, we can't go into the system and fix something. We rely on others and we rely on others' expertise, for example, a pharmacist. Um, so these are some of the things that I would suggest about how you would want to structure and some of the work that you'd want to do. Um, if it's okay, I, I want to talk about a trend that I see and, and something we've done to sort of address it at theaters. Of course. Um, I see, I also, I do some consulting with the Wilshire Group. What I am seeing is people are reverting to old practices. People, some hospitals are starting to revert back to manual workflows. And it's because, twofold, sometimes people grew too fast, especially systems, understandable. They grew so fast, they had to get it in and didn't work so well. And the problems, they cannot seem to go to the next level, so they just say, forget it, I'm gonna pull it, I'm gonna take it back. I'm, let's say, for example, the HIM department in coding. So instead of leveraging system functionality, they're reverting back to old practices. And the example I like to give with this is cath lab, cardiac cath lab. Huge revenue generating source for an organization. Uh, complex coding, uh, complex, you know, implantable devices. It's expensive. Um, what I see happening are people starting to pull codes out of the charge master, where we call it hard coded, and they're pulling it back into soft coding with coders. So what we've done at Cedars, and, and it's been super successful, is Myself and the executive director of HIM, who we've worked together for years, came to an agreement, handshake. All right, we're going to pull the codes, CPT codes, et cetera, from the charge master. And we're going to, we're going to trigger charges out of the system. We're going to let the system post charges. And everybody kind of gets really scared there because charges equals codes. And then, though, we're going to have the oversight by a coder to ensure the accuracy. So what you've done is you've gone from 100% manual process to leveraging the system to now having pretty much one FTE required to do the review, and on average, there is a 10 to 15% error rate. So you're now only manually touching 10 to 15% to do corrections to charges and codes versus having it manually posted 100% of the time. It's just one example of a real impact that an RI program can have on both efficiency and reporting revenue. And, and that's just something we see a lot of the time um, 
meaning that sort of reverting back to manual processes. And I just really want to encourage organizations to keep moving forward, keep using the system, go deeper, don't go lighter. And and it's been a big it's been a big success for us at Cedars. Those are some really great insights, Gretchen. Thank you so much for coming by the podcast today and sharing all of that uh, very detailed information about revenue integrity with our audience. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.